Hello, and welcome to High on Our Own Supply by Confident Cannabis, where we chat with friends in the cannabis industry about their experiences, what brought them here, and get their pro tips for success. I'm Hannah Hayes, sales manager at Confident Cannabis, the only B2B marketplace powered by verified lab data. Today, we're joined by Alex Noland, founder of Living Things, Oregon's original aquaculture farm. Their products are available on Confident Cannabis Wholesale and in licensed dispensaries across the state. Thanks for joining us today, Alex. Yeah, thanks for having me. Definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Aquaculture is not a cultivation method we see all the time in cannabis. So tell me more about your business and how you got started. Yeah, I've been in the weed industry for about 15 years. Uh, I started off just, I had a delivery company and then I actually kind of started getting a little concerned about how people grew. And so about eight years ago, I moved out to Oregon and started to grow here and just have been slowly developing the aquaculture stuff. Mm -hmm. I uh, originally had uh, freshwater fish since I was in college. A friend of mine just gave me a fish tank. And, and then I remember one day after college, I had just kind of started growing weed at that point. And then one day I was cleaning my fish tank and I was dumping the water outside and this there was this 90 year old lady who just sat on her front porch all day and was just uh she she yelled across the street what are you doing it's like oh i'm just cleaning my fish tank and she's like oh is it a fresh water one i was like yeah yeah, yeah. she's like oh dump dump the water on your flowers it'll help them yeah. grow and so then that's kind of what sparked the idea and then i just kind of i started off with hydroponics and then went to soil and then just was kind of developing the fish idea and then kind of eventually just merged them together especially after i got the grow going in oregon that's when i was really got it kind of together and you know, it took several years of figuring <laughs> out how to do it i feel like it always produced really good quality weed but it took a while to get the product or the uh, yeah the production up now it does really well we've uh, kind of figured it out. We produce a lot of high quality weed. Yeah. Scaling a cannabis grow is challenging enough. It seems to me it would only be trickier when you have kind of less resources, a smaller community to draw from. You know, one thing I've noticed is that you use the term aquaculture. Is there a difference between aquaculture and aquaponics? The aquaponics is a little bit more just the soilless environment of just mm -hmm. growing with with the fish and usually yeah, soilless medium of usually people use hydroton or now kind of the newer aquaponics systems, you do these floating table things on top of the water. But we, I use kind of an older uh, method of aquaponics. I use the one with the biofilter and the earthworms mm -hmm. and I actually clone out of that. But then once everything roots, I move it all over into organic soil, uh, a soil mix that we make ourselves. They had kind of had thought about doing just straight aquaponics and then my, my grow space was very limited and in, in ceiling height and there would have been no way I would have had enough room to do a full-on aquaponic system so I kind of just merged the soil method I was already doing with that and it's worked really well and I feel like it too gives a better balance 
the weeds since there's mm -hmm. not that we're just, you know, like fruits and vegetables, just eating it. And a lot of times aquaponic systems do better with like leafy greens and things. And I feel like the soil kind of helps give a little better, a little more flavor. Uh, it has a lot of those micronutrients that aren't always in aquaponics. Okay. Well, and I'm, I like, it's so interesting to me. I, it's hard for me to even visualize what your setup is like, like how many fish are we talking? You know, can you kind of walk <laughs> us through, you know, what your typical day-to-day -day is like and, you know, what the maintenance of this type of system is like? I think the, the system is uh, pretty maintenance-free. It, it kind of just runs on its own. You know, I don't have a very big grow of a micro tier. So we just have a one 15 light flowering room and, that, and then a bedroom that has, a, I think about nine or 10 lights and then a mom room. But we have a, I think about a 600 gallon fish tank and it supports all those rooms. So we are planning to expand. We've kind of started the process. And so I've been trying to design a, a new system that maybe I could have bigger fish. Because right now I just use goldfish. They, they poop a lot and they're very inexpensive. <laughs> so especially in the beginning when I was trying to figure things out, if I accidentally killed them all, it wasn't too expensive to replace all of them. <laughs> oh, I was about to say full of life, but I guess that's, that's always the goal. <laughs> the goal, yeah, yeah mishaps are bound to happen. Because um, there's not, yeah, there's definitely no one, especially back when I first started, there weren't really instructions how to do aquaponics. And, and there's mm -hmm. some things you can actually put into the fish tanks and you can make compost teas and put other certain fertilizers into the systems and low doses and there's definitely no yeah instructions for it and i've i have messed up once before but <laughs> yeah i <laughs> learned the hard way but uh yeah lots we, of trial and error okay yeah i know we have a pretty good system and uh yeah i made a few i've had to make a few modifications to the system over the years but now it just it just kind of runs uh the only thing i've recently i've had an issue with i have an air stone that broke they tend to break open sometimes and then you don't but that's 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 really about it and you know, the water fills itself we have automatic fish feeders so there's there's not a whole lot i have to do unless if i get a sick a sick fish so <laughs> what's your favorite part of you know growing cannabis in the style uh i i like the um the bit of yeah I mean, it's, it's all natural and having the fish around is fun uh, so when I moved out here, I got rid of my, my uh, personal fish tank in my house. So it's, it's been nice. And I've moved a few times. So I haven't had a chance to do one again. So it's nice having the, the fish around and the worms. Like last night I was in the aquaponics room with and the lights were off. The grow lights were off because mm -hmm. the aquaponics room shares the uh, bedroom, uh, which helps with the humidity and stuff in there since we need higher humidity. But like with the lights off, it's kind of fun. You can see all the earthworms in the biofilter come up to the top and they just kind of hang out while the lights are off they kind of earthworms avoid light and, so, and we have a bunch of clones in the system right now so it was kind of neat seeing the earthworms just laying over kind of all the clones and uh, on top of the rocks and, and it's fun having kind of a living system around because you get to sometimes yeah just stare at the fish and the worms and <laughs> it makes work a little more fun yeah. I love it I love it well, is there anything that you wish more people knew about aquaculture or, you know, growing in this style? It's a little more natural. It, you don't, you know, we don't put anything in the fish tank that, you know, that would harm either the, the fish or, or us. And then too, we only spray fish water on the plants. So, you know, there's a lot of, especially when I used to just buy weed and going to people's farms and, and just seeing some of the products they would put on the weed 
it's mm -hmm. uh it's a little concerning and disheartening and especially when you're you're smoking it and then or even or uh turning it into extracts and just the potential harm it could cause to someone's health especially with weed where it's supposed to be something that is you know good for the mind and body and soul but yeah if you're putting a bunch of chemicals on it uh, you know in it or on it then i feel like it kind of defeats the purpose so yeah, it's too bad a lot of these big grows don't do a lot of natural approaches a lot of people just you know force feed the liquid fertilizers and i think that's kind of the only way to do it and then you end up with a product that may look and smell good but the they don't smoke very well yeah or a lot harsher so yeah, doing it this way, I've noticed we, we kind of focus more on the uh, on strains that have flavor, uh, and then this aquaculture system kind of helps bring that out. Unlike usually growing with salts or the liquid fertilizers, which kind of kind of mask the flavor of the natural flavor of the weed. Yeah, you know, I've noticed that you know you definitely in your social media talk about this this process that you use to grow. Have you found that consumers are excited about that? How do you gauge with kind of the wider market there to tell the story of what you're doing? Yeah, a lot of dispensaries get very excited, you know, about the aquaculture stuff. There's some that's funny, there's some that don't. They're usually the, the budget stores, the ones that are just looking for the highest THC and the lowest price. They are usually the only ones who don't care, but most most do. We try to focus on nicer stores that, uh, that have customers that do care about how it's grown and the fact that it's coming from a local small business versus mm -hmm. yeah, just a large corporation trying to squeeze as much profit out of it as they can. Uh, yeah, like today I was in uh, Gnome Grown in Oregon City and I, I like this manager. I followed him around at a couple different stores that he's worked at and I like dealing with him because yeah, he gets excited about the fish stuff. Yeah, I like to deal with stores that get, yeah, get excited about it. And you know, we just got into a new store down on Belmont Mongoose. They were very excited too, to, to hear yeah. the process and see the pictures and so. Oh yeah, we love working with them too. Yeah, there's definitely no shortage of passion for cannabis in Oregon, I can attest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty wonderful. Well, I mean, I'd say it's also no secret that it's been a kind of rough couple of years for farmers in the market in Oregon there. We've had yeah. some highs and lows with the oversaturation and the, you know, producer license moratoriums. It looks like the OLCC, um, they came out now and said, you know, they're going to recommend to the legislature that they extend that. Lots of stuff happening. But how have you kind of approached this constantly changing sales landscape as a business owner? Yeah, it's been interesting. It's been up and down. I, I feel like for good quality indoor, it hasn't fluctuated as much, but it is, yeah, the oversupply is a bit frustrating. The, the stores that don't really adjust their prices based on it, you know, we may give them, we're like, oh, there's a lot of product in the market. So we give them a discount and then they still, they don't adjust their prices to the consumer. And it's been interesting. I mean, you just kind of keep your head down and keep on going. It, that been doing this so long I really don't know what else I would want to do so <laughs> definitely uh, it is tough though as a small business doing a little bit of everything because I do most of the sales and then have to oversee all the other aspects of the grows hopefully we'll be bringing on one more person this winter uh, which should free up my time and I think we're going to be able to expand just a tiny bit to where I can hire a full-time sales guy and that'll That'll be nice because I'd, I'd like to focus more on new strains and creating some of our own own strains ourselves with uh, cross-pollination and everything. So yeah, hopefully, even though I like, I actually quite enjoy sales. I've, I've always been come from a fa family of salesmen, but uh, it, it'll be nice to do some other things with the business here pretty soon once, once we can expand a little bit more. 
Okay. So I'm hearing got a bit of a one man show going on, doing it all. So it sounds like you've been really successful in identifying these dispensaries that are looking for, you know, top shelf boutique indoor and being able to kind of maintain those consistent relationships. Any tips that you have for other producers? Oh, any tips? Oh, that's okay. For the sales is tough. You got to just kind of, uh, you know, having, you know, good quality product and just sticking with it is good really kind of the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease so generally kind of keep bugging them I'm glad they've changed the legislature so we can you know just kind of drive around now and go into stores mm-hmm. and that's how I originally did it when I first moved to Oregon and started selling in the stores you just hired a guy to kind of watch the grow for about two months and every day just went to almost every dispensary that was uh, around in Portland back when it was medical and eventually found about 10 stores that liked my stuff and then i really didn't have to do sales anymore. They just kind of waited for me to you know, produce each round. And it's, it's not quite that easy anymore, but. <laughs> no, but yeah, persistence pays off and having yeah. good weed doesn't hurt either. Yeah, um, it definitely doesn't. Kind of you have to match the quality of your weed with your price point and just kind of what type of customer you're looking for, what neighborhood you're, you're trying to sell to. And it's every you know, dispensary has a different kind of market they deal with. So some, some don't like just flowers, some want extracts or pre-rolls and, and stuff. So it's just, uh, yeah, finding, finding people you match with. And yeah, I feel like most of the stores, I, I actually legitimately get along with the managers and the people that buy my weed there too. And I feel like that helps. So being personable definitely gives you a leg up too. Yeah, absolutely. Those relationships and just being able to maintain and deepen those is, is huge. What would you say as far as, you know, I mean, like, like we were kind of saying at the beginning here, it's, it's definitely tricky to scale a business when we're still kind of trapped in state lines and all of these different things. What have been some of your kind of biggest challenges as you, you know, get this all running? It's, it sounds like essentially, you know, running the show, mostly yourself. Leaving, leaving the grow is the biggest challenge in doing sales. Sales is a full-time job and, but then running the grow is too. And about a year ago, I finally found a full-time person who helps out at the grow but it's still you know it, you know I'm still learning I've been doing this for 15 mm-hmm. years and I'm always still learning so it's always hard to you know leave because you're trying to train someone or still kind of have to help out but need to be on the road doing doing sales and yeah it's, it's just definitely tough to to balance everything I'd say that's the biggest struggle of the recreational market is just having to be able to keep up with production uh, so we can pay our bills and do the sales and make sure the plants are doing okay or equipment isn't breaking. I just had a air conditioner go down the other day. So that, that, that's fun. And it always, it always seems like a piece of equipment breaks when you want to have a, uh, a day off. So, uh, Yeah, that is the Murphy's Law, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, being a small business owner in any industry, but we're kind of all really learning and everything's changing so quickly as we go here. When Oklahoma legalized medical pot, I had a lot of friends call me about wanting to grow. And I usually just kind of told them, I was like, I don't know, you just, uh, a lot of them have families and kids and I'm just like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess if you don't like seeing your family, it's, it's, you know, sure, go grow, but you know, (laughs) and I look out that my grow is a hundred feet from my house. So when something breaks in the middle of the night, I don't have to drive across town, which definitely helps a lot. Definitely. Well, so what do you think, um, you know, as you go forward here, do you see that changing as we move forward over the next couple of years? What do you expect, you know, kind of coming up here for the industry? 
you know, I know one of the big changes they want to do is being able to sell across state lines. And, you know, so I go back and forth on whether it'll help because then, you know, then you have uh, those people from those states will probably also be able to sell here too. But it seems like most states have their prices stay a little more, uh, they don't fluctuate as bad as Oregon. I know California and Colorado and a few other states that I kind of pay attention to, their prices stay more consistent. So that it might help some consistency. That'll be nice. I know they're also changing some legislature for next year that'll help growers a bit. We can get our extracts back. So I felt like the original laws for grower were uh, very anti-grower when the rec first started. They, they took a lo- away a bunch of our income yeah, especially the extracts. That was uh, um, a nice chunk of extra change to get. And it, we you know, went from making $30 a gram on our byproduct of our trim and bee nugs to making $100 a pound, which you know, I think that was a ten or $20,000 a year, or yeah, $20,000 a year hit or something for us. And Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a huge difference there. Well, what else would you say for, you know, maybe for folks who haven't been in the Oregon market, you know, what, what advice do you have for people? Yes, you know, if you're one to be in the weed industry, it's just, uh, it's different every day. The laws change, the market changes, and you like doing it, you just have to kind of stick with it. Definitely not easy. And a lot of people think, especially with growing, that they're just going to put some plants in the ground and pick $100 bills off of them. But uh, it's definitely not like that. (laughs) Yeah, not, yeah, not quite the reality yeah, I'm, I'm a little excited for the changes we're making over here. My girlfriend has a greenhouse farm and we're actually going to kind of, uh, I think, scale hers back and she's going to start working over here. And she knows a little bit more about soil science than I do. I wouldn't know more about bacteria and fish and, and things like that. And then so we're going to help maximize my grow and do things like joints and uh, or pre-rolls. And then at the you know next year, hopefully we'll start being able to get our extracts back when they change the legislation and then hopefully, yeah, we'll maximize every dollar we can over here and then get her grow going, kind of maximize her grow because we have, yeah, she also is kind of a one-man show even more so than me. So uh, yeah, it's tough. We, we don't see each other. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely power in numbers. It is, yeah. it is interesting. It does seem in my experience, like with cannabis, there's, there's a lot of these like power couples. I feel like, you know, it's so hard to make it and it's such a, you know, different lifestyle than I think a lot of people are used to that it, it does tend to, you know, bring people together. Yeah. I've worked in the restaurant industry before in kitchens and it's, it's, it's a lot like that. If you want to have a high-end kitchen, yeah. you're not going to see, you, you just work all the time. And so we were trying to have you know, two separate kitchens or two separate businesses and just kind of do it ourselves. And, and we realized that we, I think we had, I had three days off this summer. So I think we're going to have this winter when uh, we're going to finish up her harvest next week. And then we're going to kind of combine forces. We might even take a whole season off at her place and then okay. get mine going, hire maybe two more people and then move over there. And especially too, once we get like, you know, a process for pre-rolls and if we get a process for edibles, we used to take our fan leaves and turn them into edibles back when we could. And so now we're not allowed to, so, cause we don't have another tax lot or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. all the fun county rules, but we can over at her place. So once we get over, you know, so our process is going again, we'll, uh, yeah, get her, her stuff going for the season after next. And yeah, hopefully that'll be working as much. <laughs> yeah. It's exciting. I mean, yeah. Farming, manufacturing. It's a lot of work, but it sounds like you guys have some really cool expansion plans in the works. 
Yeah. So hopefully yeah, it'll work out because I, yeah, I felt like medical, I had finally, when it was medical, I'd finally gotten all my processes down, had a great crew that lived in the area and I was working maybe 10 hours a week. You know, we had maximized all our profits. We were making edibles and, and extracts and things. And then legalization happened and we weren't even allowed to grow at that place anymore just because of how it was zoned and then had to move and I lost all my workers. And so <laughs> it's definitely taken a while to kind of get our feet back under us. So, but uh, yeah. it's finally getting there. Well, you know, that brings up something else. We've been hearing about this trimmer shortage for, I think about two years now. Is that something that you've been affected by? Yeah, in the beginning, uh, when I was when I got my first round going, I yeah like outsourced the trimming for one round, and then after that, I have a bunch of friends that work in the restaurant industry, and then you know they were I was slowly I just had to up there give them some more incentives for driving an extra hour, mm-hmm. and then I got a trim crew going again. But uh, recently, I found yeah this this new worker I found last year. I actually didn't have enough work for a full time worker. But I found someone who can trim, she can trim three pounds in a day if she really wants to. So her being, she actually trims my entire harvest uh, each round and helps me with all the hourly, hourly stuff. So because she can trim so much, I actually, that's how I'm able to uh, afford a full-time worker and she does it all herself. So I really had much of an issue with trimming, but uh, I have heard that there's, yeah, there's been a bit of a shortage and I hear people don't pay them that much anymore either too. I've heard some trimmers get minimum wage these days and we, we still kind of pay the old prices of 150 a pound, which even at that time, one, one, one time that was kind of low and now that's the higher end, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's fantastic that you have, you know, such great, such a great employee there. It's definitely not the story we're hearing from a lot of folks that are, um, struggling to find, you know, the same kind of level of uh, experience that they were used to just a few years back. Yeah, it's the one plus of not being too big. There's, you know, only about 40 pounds every other month. So it's uh, uh, to trim, you know, if we had hundreds of pounds, I'm sure, I'm sure it'd be a different story. We'd yeah, have to get the machines or something, which I'm glad we don't have to do. The machine trim stuff is terrible. You can tell the difference. We, I, I tried to use one to, one time to see how it worked and they just knock all the good stuff off of the weed and yeah, it takes all its structure away. That's the one thing with ours because of the way we grow. Uh, I feel like the organic process, you get a, a, the true shape of the weed out of it. A lot of times, um, I remember when I was growing hydroponically and kind of switched over to this organic way, the, the shape of the, I was growing the same strains, but their shape changed. They started looking neater. They had these foxtails and these different you know, colors. Yeah, just, I feel like the true form of, of the pot versus when you're doing it synthetically versus organically or natural organically. Yeah, definitely encourage everyone to take a look at Alex's flower on Confident Cannabis and check it out. If you search living things, you should be able to see them there. It's definitely some really beautiful looking flower. So encourage folks, um, where can people find you in Oregon? Are there a couple of dispensaries you can let us know about? Yeah, uh, Gnome Grown in Oregon City, Stony Only in Clackamas, uh, somewhere downtown Portland, I think they're off 23rd street and then oh let's see oh mongoose off belmont and let's see there's a couple others but uh <laughs> i've been slacking on my sales these last couple of weeks i've been working on a couple grower of improvements so i think we're just in in those stores at the moment but as soon as my girlfriend's outdoor harvest is done we're gonna be hitting the road a bit more and go back because we usually we have a handful of stores in medford and bend uh, eastern oregon but it's sometimes hard to get down there and <laughs> bring a product when when you're working all the time. 
get back on the road show. Well, yeah. you know, has that been affected at all by COVID? I mean, you know, the industry was declared essential pretty, pretty immediately yeah. there, um, especially here on the West Coast. But has that changed any of your workflows at all? It definitely the first year, the sales, you know, with the increase of demand, sales were a little easier last year than they were this year. Yeah, right when COVID first hit, my I had a different worker at the time. Everyone in his house got COVID, so that was fine. We had to... Uh, you know, when it first, very first happened before, I think even the shutdown happened, we had a close call with it, but ended up not getting it. And, but uh, luckily we only, you know, have one worker and a couple of harvesters that I personally know. So we didn't really have to do too much of a protocol besides wear a mask and wash your hands. And it, it did affect a lot of supply chain stuff, but I lucked out in the beginning. I, uh, when I was, con when I was contacting some of the people I buy fertilizers and stuff from, I had kind of heard the owner say something about, oh, it's been tough getting the part to make, or, you know, the, the other pieces to make this stuff. And so we bought a couple products. We bought like three, three years supply just in case. And I'm glad I did. You know, one of my fertilizers, is really neat organic Bakashi fertilizer that has a lot of beneficial bacteria in it. And it's definitely the most expensive part that I use. And I, yeah, I bought a three year supply of it. And the guy, he was supposed to have been able to start making it again it actually hasn't he hopes maybe next year now so wow so that was a great investment yeah even just rubber gloves i shop at uh restaurant supply stores to get the better deal and i remember uh yeah buying buying up rubber gloves before they disappeared and because since we use those a lot for trimming and harvest and and alcohol too so we, we contacted mm -hmm. some chemical suppliers and just bought a lot of it <laughs> Yeah, I know some of the manufacturers really struggled with getting um, some of some of those materials they needed, especially once the hand sanitizer production got ramped up there. Okay, very cool. Well, last question for you today. Um, what are you most proud of since you started your business? Uh, that I've uh, made it this long. This is our 15th year doing it. So uh, I started off with $300 in my pocket 15 years ago when I was in college and a friend that wanted that was going to stop selling weed and wanted to sell me an ounce. And I was like, oh, $300, that's a lot of money. <laughs> uh, and then just kind of slowly built it from there. And up until REC, it was uh, 100% me doing all the in investing. And then the REC market happened just a little bit too soon. And I had to borrow a little bit of money from family. So I lucked out that way. But yeah, just making it the, the REC, especially through the REC, first REC year. And so I was in a horrible skiing accident, almost uh, couldn't work or walk for about six months and almost ran out of money. And a couple family members said, let me borrow a little bit to keep going. And we made it through that. So that's, uh, wow. yeah, definitely. Well, and being able to develop the, the aquaculture stuff, kind of something, because when I first started growing, I, I, I felt like, you know, there's a lot of people that grow weed. It's sort of, it's like, you know, guitarists in a band, there's a lot of everyone, <laughs> plays guitar so who you know what makes you different and I feel like the uh yeah kind of merging the my love for uh fresh freshwater fish tanks and growing weed was uh, is definitely the other one and and being able to make it work too well we're glad that you're healthy and the business is healthy I mean definitely you've you've built something that's very unique and uh really cool and uh you know we hope we're working with you for the next 15 years here thank you so much for all of your time today and for speaking to us and um, again, for everyone out there, you can find Alex in Living Things on Confident Cannabis and in licensed dispensaries across Oregon. Uh, thanks for tuning in.
supply, we getting high. On our own supply, ay, giving you the game, all facts, no lies. Getting high. On our own supply, we getting high. On our own supply, we getting high. On our own supply, ay, giving you the game, all facts, no lies. Yeah, yeah.